we're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. I've changed everything around, which um, ask your forgiveness on that. Last week, obviously, a week that many of us went away to see family and enjoy a meal with family and friends, and trust that was a jovial time for you. And therefore, at the beginning of the week planning this sermon, I planned a little too much. I thought it was too much for us. So the passage won't be Acts 9, 11 through 31. Um, it will be chapter 9, 11 through 19, and I wanted to look at the commissioning of the Apostle Paul, but what we're going to look at is a more basic sermon dealing with the subject of um, uh, servanthood. So I suppose I would title this, The Servants of Christ, and we're going to just look at the general theme of um, because being a servant of the Lord Jesus, and we'll use both uh, Saul Paul and Ananias as examples and illustrations of being a servant. So um, Acts chapter 9, 11 through 19. Hear the perfect word of our perfect God. And the Lord said to him, "Um, Get up and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a man named Tarsus, from, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all all who call upon your name. But he said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight, he got up, and he was baptized. He took food, and he was strengthened. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, what a loving and a gracious and a merciful and a kind in a powerful God that you are. We're thankful so much that you have given us this Bible, that Holy Spirit, that you've taken out the spirit of um, uh, the stony heart and given us a new heart, a new spirit, and we can see the danger that we're in regarding the broken law, our breaking of the law, but we can see more, Lord, the beauty of your Son, Father, and the great need that we have and the great freedom and the liberty that we now have in you, Jesus Christ. Again, may we leave this place more in love with you, Lord, just being absorbed with you. And we would leave like Moses with our faces and our hearts and our lives shining because we've been in the presence of the three times holy God. Um, Use me, Lord, as your servant. Um, Bless the administration of your word and bless the administration of your sacrament. To the glory of your name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to just back up and look at some different things. What we've seen, um, the the doctrine part, If I, I that's how I look at a passage. I come and try to see what's the main doctrine or the main teaching. Doctrine just means teaching. And what we've seen thus far is that Saul, Paul, has been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been converted. And then subsequent to that, what we're going to look at, is the commissioning of the Apostle Paul to serve Jesus Christ. And we see this very same thing with Ananias. I meant to read verse 10, 
there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. We see the very same idea with Ananias. Ananias is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then subsequent his belief, he calls the Lord Jesus Christ his Lord, and he serves him. So he believes, and then he serves. That's the biblical pattern, beloved. It's first believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, or to be more specific, to be justified, and then subsequent that, then we live out uh, our, our, our life in Jesus Christ. We live out our salvation. We work out our salvation, as Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 1 or chapter 2, I forget. So the, the pattern is first faith, and then from faith is faithfulness. Those two things are dis- distinct, but they're inseparable. Where you have one, you will always have the other. If there is true faith in Jesus, you will have faithfulness. And where there is faithfulness, it flows out of the root of true faith. So that's the pattern, to be converted to the Lord Jesus Christ and then to serve the Lord Jesus. And so my desire today is just to unpack the idea of of being a servant. The word servant is not used expressly, but it is used implicitly throughout the whole passage. Um, there's a, there are two words, there are two concepts that I'm going to connect. One is disciple, which in Greek is mathetes, it means learner of, and then the other is a servant, and Greek uses a number of different different words for servant, doulos, I'm probably but, butchering in that, and then hupereta, which is, a, which is an under rower. Paul says he's a doulos, he's a servant, he's a slave, he's a hupereto, he's a galley servant, he's chained to Jesus, and he rose for Christ. I want us to spend some time looking at the notion of what does it mean to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Paul is a servant, Ananias is a servant, and if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we are his servants. I'm going to say right away, the idea of servanthood is contrary to the likings of natural man. When I say natural man, I mean unconverted man. The person who is apart from Jesus Christ savingly, does not like the notion of being a servant. I sometimes joke and refer to myself as my wife's knocker. It's servant. And I'm her little knocker. And she, no, no, don't, don't say that. And we think like that as, as, as modern Americans. Servants are down here. We want to be the master. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 comes around and says, the Gentiles think like that. But we're not Gentiles. We, we, are, the, we, are, we are true Jews. We have circumcised hearts we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're born again. And so the, the, the way that we think is radically, it should be radically unlike the, the world thinks. So the world thinks awful to be a servant. We think to be the servant of all is to be the greatest believer. And so I want to look at what the Bible talks about the notion of being a servant. And I'm going to connect. We're going to start at the very root of this business. I alluded to it. If, you've, if you know the book of Acts, if you've been with us in our series, we've seen, we've seen conversion after conversion after conversion. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch? He, he is converted. Philip goes up to him, and he's reading Isaiah 53, and he says, who is this suffering servant? And Philip, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, it's, it's Christ. It, it, it's Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Ethiopian eunuch is converted. And he leaves back to Ethiopia, back to Africa, rejoicing that he is converted. And in the most immediate context, we see in Acts 9, 1 and 2, Saul, Paul, breathing out murderous threats, wanting to kill as many Christians as he can, wanting to stomp out the religion of Christ. And then what happens in 3 through what? 9. God, the Holy Spirit, (laughs) the risen Lord Jesus Christ, 
miraculously meets the Apostle Saul, and he's radically converted. So we're seeing conversion after conversion after conversion. And what we mean by conversion, not all Christians mean the same things. What we mean, we think the Bible teaches, is that the Holy Spirit makes us born again. That's John chapter 3, 1 through 9. And he, that I, I prayed it, I alluded to it, Ezekiel 36. He takes out our stony heart, and he gives us a heart of flesh, a new spirit. We have the principle of new spiritual life. It's resurrection from spiritual death to spiritual life. And from that principle of new spiritual life that the Holy Spirit gives us with, we repent of our sins, and we turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's conversion. So from, from our point of view, it's when we recognize that we're sinners and Jesus Christ alone is our sin bearer. And we beat our breast and say, Thou, Son of David, have mercy on what? Me, the sinner. That's conversion. So it, it's repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as sin bearer. But it flows out of being born again. And how that's connected to being a servant is this. Fundamentally, only those who are converted to Jesus Christ are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember we said it's faith, and then from the faith flows the faithfulness. It's the same thing when we're coming studying the business of being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's we are first converted to the Lord Jesus, and then we live to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything's a gift of God, uh, but, but we're learning very, very basically only those that are truly converted to the Lord Jesus Christ will truly serve the Lord Jesus. I, I do feel bad that I have to hyphenate truly Christians that go to heaven. I have to hyphenate my terms all over the place. It's easy to say, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus. Um, not everyone that says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus is in Matthew chapter 7. Many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, what? I never knew you. You are not my servant. You are a servant of what? Iniquity. You're a servant of Satan. You're a servant of the devil. But I I said that I'm a Christian. So so being truly converted, from that will flow our service. So only truly converted people, born again, turn from sin, believe in Jesus, will actually and truly live for the Lord Jesus Christ, live to serve him with, their, with all of their being. And when we're talking about servanthood, let me throw this out. In the particular passage, we have Ananias as Christ's servant, serving Paul, who is another servant. Paul will be obviously called to be an apostle preacher. Not As believers, we're all his Christ's servants, but he has different functions for us in the body. He's not calling everyone to be the Apostle Paul. He's not calling everyone to be Ananias. But if you are converted, you will be a servant of the Lord. He's purchased you with his precious blood. He owns you, body and soul, and you will serve him where you are at because it flows out of that new life that you have in Jesus. It it will happen. Now, conversely, if you say, well, I've been professing Christian for 89 years. I've never served Jesus for one day. <laughs> That's a bad idea. So true servantship or servanthood flows out of being converted. Another way to put that, when we look at Ananias or um, uh, Paul, Saul, 
We have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling very critical of other forms of Christianity. I just kind of understand, our, I do understand some other forms of Christianity. I, I want to, there are many forms of Christianity that would say, come to the Lord Jesus Christ and then live for yourself. You get to live for yourself. That's not Bible Christianity. Bible Christianity is not come to Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, believe in him to save you of your sins, and then live for the glory of your name and the good of your own kingdom and that you would enjoy yourself forever. That's the worldling's catechism that the chief end of man is to glorify self and enjoy self forever. So we have been saved by Jesus to serve Jesus. Now, when I say that is what we're looking at, I didn't say that Paul was saved by his serving. I didn't say that Ananias was saved by Jesus by his serving Jesus. I said that we are saved by Jesus Christ unto serving Jesus. Does that make sense? You see why I'm being specific with that? Um, There are many people that say, well, if you believe in free grace, then the next thing that's going to produce is a life of licentiousness and sin. That's not true. Free grace... God converting us in Jesus Christ produces in us love and gratitude. You, could you get a wife to make her husband a dinner like every night? When, let's say the guy comes home from the factory at 5 o'clock and he wants his dinner at 5.05. Can that wife put it on the table at 5.05? Yeah. Can he make that wife afraid of him such that she puts that dinner there? Yeah, that's serving like a slave. We don't serve like slaves we, we serve like loving children servants and we do it not out of slavish fear that God's going to damn us. He won't, but out of love that he's freed us in Jesus. And so our serving Jesus does flow out of that, but we have been saved unto service. And actually, when you think of it, prior to Paul's conversion, he actually thought by his so-called serving, he was being considered righteous. Every once in a while, conservative Christians are called, uh, we, we're called lots of names. Sometimes we earn the One of the names that we constantly hear is, you guys are hypocrites. It means a play actor. Or you guys are legalists. If you think that you shouldn't cheat on your wife, or you shouldn't cheat on your taxes, you shouldn't worship false gods, or you should go to church, you should read your Bible people will say you're a legalist. It's not a legalist to obey the law of God. That's crazy. We've not been saved by our law keeping. We've been saved by Christ's law keeping, but we have been saved unto law keeping. Does that make sense? It's the Pharisee that says, if I do all of these things, then I'll I'll earn my reconciled standing with God. That's what Paul was before he was converted. That's Philippians 3, 1 through 14. But now in Jesus Christ, we serve out of the principle of love and gratitude. So you and I have not been saved. Again, we've not been saved by our law keeping. Saul wasn't saved by his law keeping. In fact, he was in the very process of hating Christ and destroying the church when God saved him. But we have been saved unto service. Sometimes folks think, our brother mentioned it at Sunday school, midlife crisis. You can have a teenage life crisis, a 20-age life crisis, a 40-age. Life is just real difficult. And one of the things that we wrestle with as, as Christians is um, 
What's our purpose? What are we here for? Well, I can tell you what your purpose is. I don't know whether what your particular gifts are, but I can tell you what your purpose is. Your purpose is to serve. If you're a Christian, Christ has saved you that you would serve him with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your, wherever he's placed you. That's why he has saved us, that we would serve him. And so we can put some, part of, when you, when you give kids too many choices, a buttercup, what do you want for dinner? And then you run down the 60 things for dinner and the kid's a wreck because he doesn't know what to choose. You should say, buttercup, this is dinner. Boom. Buttercup, here's dinner. You have been saved to serve Jesus. We can stop worrying, what, what, what am I here for? You are here, I'm here as a Christian to live for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ wherever he's placed us. So our, 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 our serving Jesus flows out of our conversion. And as I've mentioned, our serving Jesus evidences or manifests our... Con- How do we know that Saul and Ananias are truly converted? How do we know that? Men only look at the outward. We can just hear the outward. We, one, we make a profession. Ananias says, Lord... Uh, Saul says, Lord. I'm going to argue that it means uppercase Lord, God. But they make a profession that they believe. How else do we know that they're truly converted? They obey. They serve him. We only can look at the outward, but God looks at the hearts. And Jesus says, you will know them by their what? By their fruits. The way that we know Saul is converted, the way that we know Ananias is converted, is they obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, it, it works to our assurance. Other churches, there are churches that think, well, you need a miracle. You need to see a vision. You need something to show you extra biblical that you're really a believer, that you're really on the way to heaven, that you really are a servant. No, you don't. You don't need something extraordinary. What do you need? You profess the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, then what you do? You, you obey him. I want you to go to such and so street. I want you to do such and so to my other servant. And what, what's the response of the truly converted person? Yes, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. It works to our assurance. We can know that we have passed from death to life. So we see some of these things. What would you say to a person that said, I am a believer, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I don't ever serve him? What would you think of that person? You would think what? Your, your confession of faith is spurious. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says two kinds of people. Both say that they're believers. And he says one's a wise builder and the other one's what kind of builder? Foolish. He doesn't obey. Jesus in, in Luke chapter 6 says, Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I what? What I say. So when we're looking at the life of a, a servant, the way that we manifest that we are true servants, that we're, we're truly converted, is one, we believe, faith, and then faithfulness. We obey. We obey Jesus as our Lord, and we're going to see some things about that. If you walk through our passage, so we've seen disciples, excuse me, servants are converted. The second thing I want us to see, look at verse 10 and what's 19 and, and 26 even, that word, uh, methetes, disciple, is used, what, uh, three or four times in those three verses. And that word means learner of. Remember Jesus in 
um, Matthew chapter 11, that beautiful passage. He says, come unto me, you who what? You who are weary and heavy laden. Um, life can be beautiful. I just spent a couple of days with two beautiful little boys, a two and a half year old beautiful little boy and a seven month old beautiful little boy. And I mean, I'm exhausted, but it, life can be beautiful. There can, life can be filled with so many good, beautiful things, but life can actually be pretty rough. And Jesus says to people that are experiencing the roughness of life, if you are weary, come to me, take my yoke upon me. And what does he say next? And learn of me. Learn of. That's that methetes. I'm butchering that, I know. That's the disciple. Be my disciple. Learn of me. Study me. It's, it's why I love J.C. Ryle. It's why I love John Newton. I've said it before. Go spend 100 bucks. Buy John Newton's works. It's so worth it. He drips Jesus. Every, it's just so Christ-centered. It's the same thing with Ryle. It's the same thing with Horatius Bonar. So Christ-focused. The next thing that we're learning about a servant of Christ is they study Christ. We're learners of Jesus. We, we learn, and you see the connection between the two. You, you learn of Christ, and then you go serve Jesus. Now, I want to say where we first don't learn of Christ, and then we, where we do learn of Christ. The first place that we don't learn of Christ is where many, many people think they learn of Jesus. They'll say it's something like this. Well, I think Jesus is like this. I think Jesus would like the PDQ marriage. I think Jesus would think this is okay. What's wrong with that? If what you think about Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible, that's not the Jesus that we should be serving. You're learning from a false Christ. And you think, well, are there such things as false Christ? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, there are many false Christs. I think I was raised hearing of one. Jesus never got upset. He was always super gentle. It didn't matter what you did. Everything was great. Just go to church and you're good. That's a false Christ. So when we, we are talking about being servants of Jesus, we want to serve the true Jesus. We don't want to serve a false Christ. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2 says we're in the last days, the last hour, and that there are many antichrists. And the antichrist goes out, they go out in disguise as a Christ. So when we, we want to serve Jesus, we want to serve the true Jesus. Where do we learn of the true Jesus? The Bible. I understand that Paul, Saul, excuse me, and Ananias received this vision of Jesus. Uh, Paul meets him immediately. He's taught a number of places from the immediate resurrected Jesus. This is before the close of canon. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, I'm a cessationist. That's for another sermon. That's an extraordinary revelation of Jesus. I believe subsequent to the death of the last apostle that God mainly, predominantly reveals himself to us in Scripture. And so that where we go to learn of Jesus, who he is, what duty he requires of us, is Bible. The more we live on the Bible, in the Bible, the more we will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And the opposite is also true. And I'm not saying this to pick on anyone it's easy to be a Bibleist Christian. It really is. It's easy to say, sola scriptura, we're Protestants, sola scriptura, we believe Bible alone is our rule for faith and practice, which it is. It's easy to say that. 
But then if someone held a stopwatch to how much we read the Bible each day, would we be embarrassed? Oh, boy. Oh, we didn't hit the stopwatch today. Oh, two seconds. Oh, you read your daily devotion, your Fred's daily devotion. Well, that doesn't count because that's not just Bible. You, you see what I'm getting? I'm not picking on Fred's devotional. I read Fred's devotional all the time myself. But do we read more Bible than Fred? We should read. Charles Spurgeon said, good books are other good books. They're great. And you, sh- you should visit them. But you should live in the Bible. The way that we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, who he is, what he taught, what he required, is to be in the Bible, to be in the Word. And conversely, what would you think of a person that said, yep, I'm a total servant of Jesus. I never read the Bible. Well, unless you're blind or you're illiterate, then you could listen to the Bible being read to you. But you see the idea. When we're Bible-less, we're not going to be serving Jesus, no matter what we say. And the second great means whereby we grow in our knowledge of Jesus such that we would serve Jesus, what's the second great means of grace? Prayer. 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 This is going to be the benefit of suffering. When Jesus says, I will show him how much you must suffer. I believe this. It's, it's not an exclusive. Tr- and you could differ, and maybe you're right, and maybe I'm wrong. But I, I believe that when we're suffering, we pray better. We pray better. Last night at 11.45, I heard bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. And my heart went to my shoes. And Mona was going to go running to the door. And I'm like, for the love of Pete, don't go to the door at quarter of 12 because it's about to get kicked in. Let me make sure that I'm equipped to answer this door. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep till 1.30 in the morning. And I prayed, keep my wife safe, keep my, me, me safe. Lord, I prayed for like from quarter of 12 to 1.30. Prayed. That's the benefit of weakness and pain and privation and those things. It gets you praying. And then when you're praying, who are you in communion with? Jesus. How are we going to serve Jesus out of the principle of love or gratitude if we've not spent time with him? Again, I, I don't like to use the, 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 the marital um, example, but it's so, it's so applicable. The husband that spends time with the wife because he loves the wife is going to grow in his love and service to the wife. When we spend our time in the word, we're going to serve Jesus more. We're going to learn of him. When we spend time in, and, and I'm going to have to, I'll have to hyphenate this all over the place. I'm a box checker by nature. I check boxes. My father was a devotee of Vince Lombardi. He was an exceedingly disciplined man. And winners do things losers don't want to do. So I am going to pray. I don't care if I'm being hit with a brick. Pray, check. I don't care what's going on. I am going to read my 27 minutes of Bible. Pray, check. There's a perfunctory reading of the Bible and there's a formalistic praying that doesn't get you what you want. When we pray, pray, out of love and fervency, then we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then we'll know our duty. And you say it seems kind of subjective. Pray till you feel something. There, was, there have been ministers that said, I'm not going to get off my knees until I start crying for my people. I'm not going to stop praying um, until I start crying for my people. I want to pray. The Puritans would say, sometimes you stop praying before you really pray. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for their food. It's not prayer. If your heart is not moved, then you didn't pray. Because who are we speaking with? The God of heaven and earth. 
If Jesus Christ was here right now, what would we, what we all be doing? We'd be on our faces. And what would happen to our hearts? Our hearts would be fluttering. When we're in the word, when we're in the prayer, we're acting as that true methetes. We're learning of him. And then when we're put in a situation, our brother was teaching on loving enemies and, and loving brothers and sisters. When we spend time with God in his word and we're put in a hard situation, then we're going to know our duty. I'm supposed to love you. I'm supposed to love you as Christ loves the church. I'm supposed to overcome your bad with good, just like my Jesus taught me. Does that make sense? So servants are converted. Servants are learners of Jesus Christ. We spend time in the word. We spend time in, in prayer. The other thing, when you look at Saul and when you look at Ananias, what common stock do they both come from? They're both, they both come from what stock? They're both Jews. So Paul means, um, what does Paul mean? Uh, Saul means prayed for, asked for. It's a godly mother and a father. They're praying for godly seed. Every believing mom and dad prays for a healthy little baby boy or girl. And more than that, every believing, believing mom and dad, not only do we want a healthy baby boy or baby girl, what do we want? Oh, I pray that they're marked out from the foundations of the earth to, to not just fill up my home with joy, but to fill up Christ's church with joy. Godly folks want a godly seed. That's God's business, but we pray for that. So it looks like Saul, Paul's folks were praying for that. Ananias means, I think it means protected of, by Jehovah, protected by Yahweh, something like that. They're both Jews. They're both Jews. You remember, and this is significant, they're both Jews that believe in Jesus as the Christ. Sometimes modern Christians, usually, I don't know what stripe, not of the Reformed stripe, usually, um, perhaps of the broad evangelical stripe, they think that Jews, not Christian Jews, are like kissing cousins to us. That they're this close. They're in heaven almost because they're Jews. That's not true. <laughs> Beloved, if you were to take a trip to Jerusalem right now and run around with your John 3.16 tracks, you might be needing dental work like me after you spend a few t- I think that's right. It's a miracle that we have two Jews that now didn't believe in Jesus, but now they do believe in Jesus. You know the famous saying, it's from John's Gospel, John chapter 1, maybe 10 through 13. Jesus came to his own and his own knew him what? Not. That's a general statement. It's a general statement. It, 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 it means in, in general, in the main. It's not an exclusive statement. So it means most of the Jews said Jesus is not the Messiah, but some did believe. These two men are the son. And I'm going to apply that to us. There's a a scripture verse. uh, Paul quotes it in Romans 8 or 9, but it's from the Old Testament. Though the the numbers of Israel be like the sands of the sea, only the what shall be saved? The remnant. Only the remnant shall be saved. Most of the Jews of Paul's day, of Ananias' day, Jesus' day, they said when Jesus said, here I am. I'm the Messiah. They said, what? We don't think so. Are you here to kill the Romans? No, actually, I'm here to take your sin and to receive you to myself. No, we want our sin. We just want you to kill the Romans. They didn't want the Christ that was the real Christ. They wanted a political Christ. And I'm not going to go down that road, I promise. But my point is this. Jesus says, many are called, few are Many are on the broad road to hell and few are on the narrow road 
to heaven. Here we have a minority. These two people represent the minority. A minority of Jewish people that believe Jesus is the Christ. You remember the scripture passage? It comes from 1 Kings 19, I think. Paul quotes it again in Romans. That God said, remember Elijah said, I'm the only one that's left. I'm the only faithful guy. And what did God tell him? Actually, Elijah, you're not the only guy. How many guys does he have or people that didn't bow the knee to Baal? You remember the number? 7,000. You think, well, 7,000, that's big. That's big numbers. At the time of David, David's census of the military-aged fighting men, I don't know what it is, 20 to 50 or something like 20, to, I forget what it is. It's a million plus. So throw in the women, throw in the kids, throw in the non-military-aged men, you have in the millions. If I say take 5 million Jews, and God says, I have 700,000 that didn't bow the knee to Baal, they've not defected, what would you say? Out of millions? You have 7,000? How many people got on the boat? Eight. How many people got destroyed? Everybody but the eight. And I'm going to apply that to being a servant. We're all, there, there are some people that are the lone wolf. You know, people that I'm the lone wolf. I do what I do because I'm the lone wolf. I don't, no, please. I never believe anybody's really the lone wolf. We're, we're social creatures. We need people. Husband needs wives. Wives needs husband. The kids and we, we We're created to be in community with one another. And, the, and sadly, sometimes as Christ's servant, we're going to have to serve in the minority. They're in the minority. Paul and Ananias are in the minority of Jews that believe Jesus is the Christ. And they've got to serve Jesus in the, minor, in the minority. There, are a lot, there was a movement. It, was a, it, was, it came from broad evangelicalism. It entered the PCA. I, th- I don't know whether they voted against it or not. A couple of years ago. It was called the, um, the Insiders Movement. It was for folks, and I forget which country they were speaking of specifically, it was folks that were converted as, as Muslims, but they weren't going to come out and say they were Christians. They were going to stay within Islam, but be secret Christians on the sly. And they were going to work for, for Jesus' kingdom on the sly. And they debated that in a PCA General Assembly, whether that's a legit thing. No, it's not a legit thing. But why do you want to do that? I don't want to come out and lose my mom. I don't want to come out and lose my dad. I don't want to come out and lose all my Jewish friends or my Muslim. I don't want to come out. I want to stay inside and be, be, be secret. And if I come out and say, I'm a believer in Jesus, I serve Jesus, I'm going to be in the minority. Guess what? I know I'm showing my eschatological position. You're going to be in the minority. I'm not saying you're not going to be in the minority of professing Christians. I just, if you go to, you know, I don't know, Barnes and Noble, whatever, whoever the guy, they do censuses. 70 to 80% of Americans say they're Christians. <laughs> really? Really? Cats are marrying cats and cats are turning themselves into dogs and we're 70, 80% Christians? Well, we wouldn't know Jesus if he bit us. So I'm not saying you're not going to, you're going to be in the minority among people that say they're Christians. Remember, we're talking about truly converted people, truly people that live for You're going to be in the minority. And there are some people that say, you know what? I don't want it. I have to be with the crowd when you can't be a follower of Jesus. 
You cannot be a follower. If you, if you have to go with the crowd, you won't go against the crowd, then you can't follow Jesus. Jesus says to people, if you don't hate your mother and your father, you're not worthy of me. If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. We have to be willing, as these men are willing, to. they were Jews. They lost all of their family. The next section we're going to see, all of Saul, Paul's buddies wanted to do what to him now that he's a Christian? They wanted to kill him. He was their paisan. He was their buddy before. And what happens now? Their friend now becomes their enemy because of Jesus. Beloved, we have to be willing. Sometimes in God's providence, he calls us to serve in the minority. Sometimes he places us in a place where you're the only Christian. You're it. You're going to be the Christian at work. You're going to be the Christian at school. You're going to be it. You mean serve Jesus where, like, alone? Yeah, exactly right. Well, they won't like me. That's going to get us to the next part. <laughs> he tells the Ananias, go, go minister to my other servant that I have, Saul Paul. And a basic thing that we learn about servants is what? This is going to be stunning to you, that they're servants. Sometimes as servants of Jesus, we get the whole servant master thing mixed up. We think, oh yes, yes, I'm a servant of Jesus. Okay, Jesus, here's the five-year plan that I want you to carry out in my life. (laughs) Here's what I want you to do for me right now. And if you don't do what I want, I'm going to pout. We're mixing that up. We're acting, we're saying we're servants, but we're acting like the master over Jesus. Jesus is master, master. I always say this. I mentioned, was it, uh, husbands love your wives. But there's a thing that says, I don't want to say it too much, but wives submit to your husbands. I think it says it somewhere. Submission is not seen when we agree. (laughs) Submission is seen when we disagree. When Jesus, the master, says, servant, John, Ananias, Sally, go there. And we don't want to go. Submission is seen in that. It's not, you want me to have another slice of pizza and a fake beer? I'm on board with that. Yes, Lord, I'm your servant. He says to Ananias, I want you to go talk to Saul Paul. And he says, what? He's here to kill everybody. And God says to him, what? I go see him. I've changed him. And what does Ananias do? He goes. And he doesn't know the full picture. Not only do converted people serve him, not only converted people learners of Jesus, and not only are converted people in the minority, as Christ's servants, we're really the servant. We're really the servant. He's the one that picks the service. He says to Ananias, I have this job for you to do, and do it. He says to Saul, Paul, I have this job to do for you, now you do it. And he's the one calling the shots. We want to we say we're we, we will serve. I, I, before I came here, I'm a New Englander, and I had been in the South a good bit, and my wife and I were praying, Lord, put me in the ministry. Lord, open up doors. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Zimbabwe, I'm there. But I wanted to go to like North Carolina to get me halfway back to being home. So I said, anywhere you send me, but could you send me to North Carolina in the country? Please get me out of the deep South. I want to be up there halfway close to my folks. And God sent me here. God's the one saying, you're going to be a mouth. You're going to be an arm. You're, you're going to be a foot. You're going to serve here. You're going to... 
We have the lesser servant serving the greater servant, and that's God's business. And we have to be content to leave in the master's hand the master's privileges. There was a Puritan I read one time, and we grumble all the time. I, mean, I think we grumble. Why isn't life easier? Why isn't it more productive? And he said something like this. If you t- had two angels, and God said to one angel, you're going to run, uh, you're going to be a street sweeper. And he said to the other angel, you're going to be the prince over like kingdoms. Both angels would fly with joy to do both jobs. Because it's what they're created by God to do. And they're serving Jesus in their respective spheres. So servants serve Jesus. He says to Ananias about the apostle Paul. This man's a chosen instrument of mine. And he's going to bear my name. He's going to be a preacher before Jews and Gentiles and kings. And I will show him how much he must, must what? Suffer for my name's sake. Beloved, this is part of like, this is one of the reasons I'm in the reform end of Christianity. I was in a different kind of Christianity before. They're Christians, where if you have enough faith, people don't have to be sick. Everybody's happy, clappy. I mean, they, they aren't, but they try to conjure up that they are. And it was through the testimony of a man that lost his wife at 42 of the goodness and the strength of Jesus through hard times that brought me into the Reformed faith. And I remember what the minister said to me, quoted the words of Jesus, in this life you will have much what? Suffering. Beloved, don't ever think as a believer in Jesus, as a servant of Jesus, that if life is really hard, you're being opposed for your stance for Jesus, that means you're doing something wrong. I'm going to argue, beloved, if you're being opposed, hated on because of your stance for Jesus... That means you're doing something right. Beware when all men speak what of you. Well, when Christians say, wow, all the unbelievers are loving on me. That's a bad sign. I'm not arguing for being a donkey. We shouldn't be donkeys. But Jesus says, this man who's a chosen vessel of mine, I've chosen him as part of his service to suffer. Think of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is about the son. It was the will of the loving Father to crush the Son. Jesus was a man of what? Sorrows. And it's the will of our Jesus that in our serving him, we will suffer. We're going to oppose the world. We're going to oppose the flesh. We're going to oppose the devil. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. (laughs) Beloved, this is not meant to depress. If I told you, Come to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and then you put it in neutral and you just coast. You're going to be happy. You're going to be healthy. Everybody's going to be on your side. It's going to be awesome. What would you say to me like two minutes after that? You lied to me, Pastor John. My mom and my dad don't like me. My sisters don't like me. I just got fired from my job. The people think when I tell them marriage is between a boy and a girl, they think that I'm a loon exactly right we're the ones swimming against the stream (laughs) and when we're opposed we're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus and I'm going to say this and I'm going to quit I I alluded to it earlier there's great benefit though we don't we wouldn't sign up for it we are signed up for it there's great benefit in suffering for Christ and I mean suffering for Christ 
even if you have cancer or disease, you can use that to help you in your service of Jesus. But it's not the same thing as suffering for Christ's name. Suffering for Christ's name is when you are professing Christ or living for Christ before a Christ-hating world and they're directly coming against you because of your allegiance to Jesus. There's, there's great benefit in that. It shows you that you really do belong to Jesus Christ. It, show, it shows you where your heart is. And as you stay the course, as you stay the... Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. But if you don't confess me before men, I, I, I won't. And the other, some other things that suffering for Christ's sake does... We all want it easy. I want it easy. Don't you want it easy? We want it easy. If we had it easy, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be like Jesus and we wouldn't be serviceable. When are you the most serviceable for Christ? When you're the most like him. When are you the most like Jesus? When you're on the mountain or when you're in some measure of affliction or pain and you're crying out, Jesus Christ, help me. It's that one. And then we serve him. We serve him with love. We serve him with kindness. We serve him with grace. We love Jesus more. We love people more. We love heaven more. We hate sin more. I don't know what Christ will do with you. I know where he's placed you in the body, at least some, to some degree. I know where he's placed me in the body. Our brother spoke about we have a limited time to live and then we go to be with Jesus. At the end of your life, you're not really going to care such and so was a P- I was a PhD or I was a, uh, I was a, I was a minister or um, I built such and so. We're not going to care. Those things won't matter. But to, be, but to be called, this man, this woman was a servant of Jesus. A servant of Jesus. And, and you're going you're gonna to hear what? What every servant wants to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Our lives, even when we don't think so, our lives have fallen to us in amazingly beautiful places in Christ. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.